Let's open with a word of prayer. Hebrews 12, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. And we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, that we know that the words of man are a waste of time. So I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. I thank you for everyone who's here, everyone watching on live stream. And Lord, I just pray you'd minister to every heart. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So let's catch you up quickly. We're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, where we left off last week. Just remember the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, again, a book written by a Jew to the Jews. Tell them to quit being Jews. And the first 10 chapters, Jesus is better. And Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. He's better. Better than the angels. All of them used mildly by God. Jesus is better. Then we get to chapter 11, and we begin to get some examples of how God can take people like us who have faith and use them mightily. And we saw the examples of Abel, you know, faith worshiping, and Noah, faith working, and you know, Enoch, faith walking. And we saw all these examples of people used mightily by the Lord, and we were encouraged by the fact that in God's hall of faith, we still have people like Samson and others whose lives, from our perspective, could look like miserable failures. And what a blessing that God remembers our faithfulness and he forgives us for our unfaithfulness and chooses to remember it no more. Praise God. Amen. Now, as we come to chapter 12, in light of the fact that we know that Jesus is better, in light of the fact that we've seen that God can use people, fallible people just like us, who walk by faith in mighty ways, now how do you and I respond in light of all that? And you see this throughout scripture. Typically, it starts off with what do we believe and then how do we behave? What does it teach us? And then how are we to respond to it? So as we come to chapter 12, I'll give you just a quick background last week. And he began by telling them, I'll just read verses one and two, and then we'll dig into the text. He said, therefore, in light of everything we had learned about the people being so faithful, walking in faith, God using them mightily, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a cloud of witnesses, and there's some who disagree with me. I don't believe it means that they're watching us from heaven, because I'm for, you know, there's no tears in heaven. If they were watching, they'd be weeping. Can I get an Amen. So, but I do believe that there are examples of how God can use people like us. Also an, an example of how to remain faithful in the midst of great trials, which we will talk about this morning. You know, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Grab your outline, let's go through it, and then we'll dig into the text. If you don't have an outline, we do have them on the back table. I titled the message, Consider Him. And you'll see why it's in the the first three words of the next verse, consider him fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, Jesus is at the starting line of our faith and the finish line of our faith, and he's with us every step of the way. Amen? Amen. I, I, I evidently, I'm one of the few people on the planet that actually watched the Olympics, but I did. <laughs> some, some people were scared away by all the woke people, but I watched the marathon, and it was like they said the concrete was 103 degrees and they're running on 103 degree heat and tennis shoes for, you know, two and a half hours. And I, I, as they were running, you would see just the, the struggle, right? And people that had run 20 marathons were dropping out because of the heat. And I just thought about, you know, as a Christian, you know, we're not running a sprint, we're running a marathon with Jesus. Amen. It's not just a walk for today. It's not just a walk for this week. It's not something we do that we're excited about for a short period of time, that we walk with the Lord for the rest of our life. And unlike those runners in the marathon, the Lord not only runs with us, but he carries us. Can I get an amen to that? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us all the way through it. And it's such a blessing to know that you plus God is a majority and we serve a faithful God. So Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him, number one, lest you become weary and discouraged. You know, in the midst of trials and the difficulties of life, don't despair. Don't give up. 
Don't complain. Can I get an amen to that? Don't complain. Now you're complaining that I said don't complain. Don't, don't complain. Amen. Christians, we have nothing to complain about. Amen. Is God in control no matter what's going on around us? What's the answer? We should not be complaining. I've already shared this with you before, so I can tell on myself again. I told you that in eighth grade, uh, we had this hall of fame for the, uh, speaking of which, the hall of fame for our, you know, our middle school. And they called us out of class, you know, saying, oh, you're in the hall of fame. You got to get your picture taken. So I thought, well, it's either going to be for best athlete or most humorous. And I got there. It wasn't either one. It was for biggest complainer. So my eighth grade yearbook, there's your pastor. And they have me pointing at this girl and she's pointing back at me and it's his biggest complainers. Oh, well, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? I, it's the good news is that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Can I get an amen to that? And so, but it's a reminder that we as Christians, we can fall into the trap of complaining like the world and we shouldn't. Guys, don't despair, don't give up, don't complain, look to Jesus. Don't keep your eyes on the size of the waves, but keep your eyes on the one who's in control. Not only lest you become weary, consider him, fix your eyes on Jesus, lest you allow your trials to consume you. You know, we're living in a time right now where people are fearful and people are overwhelmed by their circumstances. And sadly, as believers, we can allow our trials to consume us. And here's the reality to some degree for all of us. I'm not throwing you all under the bus, but I'll consider myself as well. When we're going through a trial, it's always greater to us than when anyone else is going through a trial. Now, we have sympathy for everyone else, but when we're going through it, it's much tougher to some degree. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is because we're, we're, our three favorite people are me, myself, and I. We're focused on ourselves. And when we're going through something difficult, we can play ain't it awful and woe is me, and we can complain and we can grow weary, and we can question God if we're not careful. And I want, you, I want to encourage you this morning, you know, don't allow your trials to consume you and miss out on what the Lord wants to do in you and through you. Here's what the enemy wants to do. If he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. If, you're gonna, if you've already got a saved soul and he can't take you with him, he wants you to sit on the sideline and moan and complain and be a poor testimony and have little or no impact on the kingdom of God or on this world that so desperately needs Jesus. And so we need to make sure we don't allow the trials to consume us. While we endure trials and persecution, as we walk in obedience to the Lord, we will never be more, it'll never be more than we can bear, and it will never be close to what the Lord endured or what the people did in Hebrews 11. Anybody been sawn in two? I didn't think so. Anybody here been, been thrown in prison and beaten for your faith? It happens all over the world, but it didn't happen a lot here. Amen. And when we look at our trials and our trials in the, you know, where we live right now is nothing compared to what a lot of people endure. And it's certainly nothing compared to what our Lord endured for us. It says in 2 Corinthians, for our light affliction was just for but a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You hear me say it all the time. No suffering is wasted. And whatever trials you're going through right now, I don't want to lessen the fact that we have trials. I don't want to say that we don't suffer because we do. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing the funeral for one of my former assistant pastors who was only 47 years old and ministering to his wife. It was the only guy she ever dated. They met in, in high school and her heart is broken as you can imagine. And I would never lessen that trial in her life. But that being said, whatever trial we may go through, we have to trust that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing and ask God to help us to keep an eternal perspective. Amen. Because we're overwhelmed, but all we're thinking about is right now. And again, but it is but light affliction when compared to the work that God's going to do in us through it and the, the more exceeding eternal weight of glory. And then finally, lest you become weary and discouraged, keep your eyes on Jesus, consider him, lest you allow your trials to consume you. And finally, lest you despise his correction. The Bible tells us for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We're going to see the word chastens in those seven verses many, many times. I think seven times. He repeatedly talks about being chastened. And being chastened means to be disciplined. And the Lord, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And by the way, if you love your kids, you will discipline them. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to see this example that we need to praise God for being disciplined. And it will go on to say that if you're not being disciplined by God, you're not one of his kids. 
That's what it says in the text. So if you're walking around, well, God never disciplines me, you're not saved. Can I get an amen to that? So discipline is part of the way that he molds us, the way that he does a work in us. And so let's begin again, looking at consider him, fixing our eyes on Jesus. First of all, lest we be weary, become weary and discouraged. It says, therefore, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. So for consider him, it just means literally remember how they treated Jesus. Remember Jesus always. Guys, I pray, here's my prayer for all of us, myself included, that we wake up in the morning and Jesus is the first thing on our mind. That as we walk throughout the day, you know, we, we begin our day with him, we put him on speakerphone and we never hang up. Can I get an amen to that? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. I want to begin my day with him, spend my day with him, and end my day with him. And when you're looking unto Jesus, everything else, you've heard me say this, one of my favorite worship songs ever, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. See, when you got your eyes on Jesus, when you recognize the greatness of our God, he's all-powerful, almighty, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he loved you so much he'd rather die than live without you. So when you're starting to have a pity party or when you're becoming overwhelmed, take your eyes out of the mirror and put them on Jesus, amen? Put your eye, take your eyes off of the trial that you may be going through. And again, I'm not downplaying the di- that we don't go through difficulty because we do. And when you go through difficulty, call me. I will pray with you. I'm not saying that we don't go through trials and we do. And I'm not saying there aren't difficult times in our life because there are. But don't go through it without keeping your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Consider him. Keep your eyes on him. Look to him. I'm going to be doing that funeral, and there's going to be a lot of people there that don't know the Lord. Pray for that. It's on August 28th in a few weeks. And I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to talk about the woman at the well and Nicodemus. See, whether you're the most holy man who ever lived, you still need to be saved. And if you're the most ungodly woman from the world's perspective, you're not so ungodly you can't be saved. Amen? So the most holy guy alive on the planet at the time, the Pope of the day, he needed Jesus because you can't be good enough that you don't need Jesus and you can't be bad enough that he won't save you. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be reminded of that and have that, that eternal focus all the time. And it gives you peace in the midst of what goes on around us. The word consider that means to weigh in the balance, to compare what he went through with what we're going through. Again, when we think about what all that Jesus did for us, but yet we're not willing to be uncomfortable for him. We're not willing to share our faith with somebody because maybe they won't talk to us anymore. We're not, we're not willing to invite somebody to church or make a stand for the things of God when nobody else will because we're afraid of the world. Guys, we should not fear man. We only fear God. And then because we fear God and we consider God and he's, he's always on my mind, And because he's always on our mind, our focus and our passion and our desires will always go through the filter of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he says, consider him. Consider in light of what he endured. It says there in that verse, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. The word endured there means patiently persevered. The word for hostility means disobedience and strife. The mocking, the beating, and the scourging that Jesus dealt with. How many guys have seen The Passion of the Christ? How many of you think it's the hardest thing you ever watch? Okay. We probably ought to watch it about once a month. Because you know what it does? It drives me to my knees every time. It reminds me of the depth of of the Lord's love for me. The first time I saw it, uh, Calvary Santa Cruz, it was before the movie came out, the night before we rented out an entire theater. And we invited people to come for free. And I was sitting next to my daughter, who was in eighth grade at the time. And we just wept together. And she just kept saying, God, she said, Daddy, he just loves us so much. I said, yes, he does. And we need to be reminded how much he loves us the next time we start to question what he's doing. Amen? The next time when we pray and we don't get the answer we want, guys, he knows what's best. He loves you most. He'd rather die than live without you. And he endured all of it out of love for you. Could he have gotten off the cross anytime he wanted? What's the answer? Could he have stopped the scourging? that'd have been me. I'd have turned that dude into a pile of rocks. Amen. 
hit me again and see what happens, right? <laughs> Toad, you know what I mean? Because he's God, he could have done that. But why did he endure that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why did he hang on the cross when they put the nails in his hands, when he could have got down, when they mocked him, when they spit in his face, when they made fun of him? More than likely, he was certainly stripped down, but naked and ashamed was the greatest act of shaming. They did that to our Savior, and he endured that because he loves you. Guys, we, he hung on a cross for us. How can we not? How can we be ashamed of him? Consider all he did in our trials. Again, I'm not downplaying them, but they're nothing in comparison to what Jesus went through. Amen? Nothing compared to what Jesus went through. He remained faithful. He endured. The word for world there, they treated Jesus with hostility, the entire world. You know, the more we become like him, the more the world will treat us like him. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Guys, we're not getting persecuted at least a little bit. We're not standing up for the Lord enough. Amen? When you make a stand for the Lord, don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. Be kind, be loving, be gracious. And remember, you're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? But that being said, do not be ashamed of our Savior. He says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. May we never deny the Lord. May we make a stand for him. Notice it says, lest you become weary. The word weary there means faint or sickened. It what happens, it's what happens when we walk in our own strength. See, I think this is more true of guys because that's because we're knuckleheads. Can I get an amen? But guys, we'll do the whole, you know, I can do this. I got it, right? Man up, right? There's that mentality that we have. It's called testosterone. Can I get an amen to that? And we'll, and we'll say, I got this. I'll take care of this. And sometimes, and you know, it's good for a man to stand up and protect his family and, you know, have some fortitude. Those are good things. But if you do it on your own, you will fail. The only way you can accomplish what God has called you to do is if you walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because without him, you can do nothing. Amen. And see, we grow weary when we're doing it on our own. I get these things all the time because I'm a pastor, especially on my Facebook page. And they're like, uh, pastor, we know you're weary. Pastor, we know you're contemplating quitting. I wrote back, I'm not, I'm neither one of those things. What are you talking about? And they go, all pastors are weary. Not the ones who are called by God. Amen. Not the ones who are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm teaching at a pastor's conference in two weeks, and I can't wait to share with 500 plus pastors, Acts chapter 20. I might teach it next Sunday as a warm-up with you guys, so I'm ready for them. Can I get amen? But here's the reality. is I don't understand retiring. I don't understand quitting. I don't understand giving up. When the time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And if you're weary, it's because you're in your own strength. So if you are weary this morning, and some of us no doubt are, I'm not chastising you. I'm encouraging you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it's heavy because you're carrying it on your own. If you're overwhelmed by your schedule, if you're overwhelmed, you know, I was, I was meeting with the board here and they're like, you do too much stuff. You don't have time for this. And I'm like, I'll rest when I get to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, and the reality is that there's this mentality that we need time for ourselves. I need as little time for myself and as much time for the Lord as possible. Can I get an amen to that? I take up too much time for myself. Amen? If you got Netflix, you, I know you're taking too much time for yourself. Amen? <laughs> Sit down and watch 47 episodes in a row of something and then forget it five minutes later. We're empowered by the Spirit. And if we are, we won't grow weary in well-doing. If God calls you, God will sustain you. You won't be overwhelmed. Again, you'll face difficulties and trials. Do you think the Apostle Paul got overwhelmed sometimes? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. Did he ever quit though? Why? Holy Spirit, Jesus. He had Holy Spirit. He had Jesus living inside. Can I get an amen to that? He's not a superhuman. He's just a, he's just a godly human. He's just a spirit-filled human. Can I get an amen to that? And see, weariness comes when we're trying to do I just can't do it anymore. I'm overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed because we're doing it in our own strength. God is faithful and he's in control and we can trust him. When we are weary and discouraged, look to Jesus. Take your eyes off the waves. 
and get your eyes back on Jesus. Quit being overwhelmed by the circumstances and look to the Lord. Does he know the waves are coming before they came? What's the answer? And did he allow them to come? He did. And you know what, though? He wants you to grow through it. So point number one there, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Lest you become weary and discouraged in the midst of trials and difficulties, don't despair, don't give up, don't complain. Look to Jesus. Again, when you're wearied and discouraged in your soul, it's because you're walking in your own strength. You've taken your eyes off of the Lord. You're allowing your circumstances to have a greater impact on you than your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Point number two, lest you allow your trials to consume you. Look what it says. You have not resi yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So the first thing he says is, look, lest you become weary, consider him. But then he says, look, you've not resisted unto bloodshed, striving against sin. Here's what he, how does he know that? Because they're alive. <laughs> Amen. Now remember when this was written, Christians were being fed to lions. Christians were being covered in tar and set on fire. Some of them did lose their life for standing for the Lord, but he is writing to those who, have, who are being tempted to go back to Judaism, to walk away from Jesus because of the trials they're going through, because of the outward persecution, they're thinking about walking away. I've said this repeatedly. I do not believe COVID changed the church. It just revealed what was really going on in the church. Because if people are walking with the Lord, we're not going to be swayed by anything like that. Amen. People in China are still meeting. If they get caught, they go to prison for three years. Guys, we need to be in fellowship. We need to be using the gifts God's given us. We should not be undercover Christians. Kind of get amen to that. And so the exhortation here is, you're not resisted to bloodshed. Again, we tend to see our trial. Look, I'm not, please, let me be balanced. I'm not downplaying your trials at all. Our trials are real. And we are people that have emotion. And, and when we're going through them, we should, we should reach out to each other for prayer. Can I get an amen to that? And a three-chord strand is not easily broken, and we need other people to come alongside us and encourage us, and then you can go out and encourage someone else when they're going through a trial. But we must not allow it to be so consuming that we take our eyes off Jesus. Amen? I get it. Trials of life. People we love are sick. People go to heaven. Uh, again, heaven's better. Amen. But for us, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And our hearts break as we, you know, we miss them. And I'm not saying those trials aren't real, but guys, we need to have an eternal perspective. Amen. And, and trust in the Lord in the midst of it. Like these first century Jews, again, some of you have no doubt faced persecution from the world temptation from family and friends to go back to an old way of life. And again, while not downplaying the persecution and trials that some of us have endured, few in this room have been stoned to death. Amen. You might have been stoned, but not to death. Amen. <laughs> Hope you repented. Sawn in two, slain by the sword, being destitute and afflicted, tormented, thrown into a den of hungry lions. I don't think anybody's done. If you have done that, I'd love to talk to you after church. Can I get amen? <laughs> Cast into a fiery furnace, spears thrown at you, possibly this one, family taken from you. And as heavy as those circumstances and trials are, they still don't compare to what Jesus did for us. See, our problems are only great if our God is small. The enemy we face is only great if our God is small. 11 foot, 750 pound Goliath scared the entire army of, of the children of Israel half to death. Every time he came out, I defy you. And they, you know, they just would run away. And then David shows up, teenage boy delivering cheese to his brothers, no armor, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? See, when he showed up, the, the Holy Spirit came into the camp, and he was the first guy that looked at Goliath, not from a world's perspective, but from a heavenly perspective. See, they said, he's too big for me to fight. And he said, this guy's too puny to be coming against my God. Can I get him into that? And see, when we're going through trials of life, we need to have that perspective that our God is greater. Is he greater than your finances? What's the answer? Is he greater than health issues? What's the answer? 
Is he greater than children walking in rebellion right now, wayward kids? Can I get an amen to that? Is he greater than COVID? Is he greater than the White House? Okay? So, so guys, we need to be praying. We need to be salt and light. We shouldn't be murmuring and complaining. We can have joy in the midst of our circumstances. And again, consider him. Every time we take communion, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. My prayer for all of us is that Jesus is always on our mind. Amen? He's always be on our mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And he's starting to basically, this is kind of a sanctified spanking right here. Because look what he says to him. Well, you've not been resist, you have to resist bloodshed and striving against sin. Look, you're all whining, moaning, and complaining, but none of you have had to do this. And none of you have been through what, what Jesus went through for you. And again, not downplaying the trials themselves. And it may be difficult, look, but not as bad as those who've gone before us and even more specifically, nowhere near what our Lord had to endure. So how does a writer know it's true because these people are still alive? Difficult maybe, but not unto death. And while we will endure trials and persecution as we walk in obedience to the Lord, the Bible tells us it will never be more than we can bear. It'll never be more than we can bear. You know, when you gave your life to Jesus, you gave him permission to do with it whatever he wants. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought I was just getting the get out of hell free card and putting it in my wallet. I mean, come on. I, I didn't get, I, I mean, what? And I think most of us would, would probably die for the Lord if a push came to shove. But you know what's harder sometimes than dying for the Lord? Living for him every day. Amen? Amen. Dying for him is immediate. Some guys came around the corner right near here with AK-47s and lined us up against the wall and said, deny Jesus or die. I'll be in heaven and I'm good with that. And most of you would probably join me. But here's the reality. That's a second and we're in heaven. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to live for him every day. And he wants us to, to deal with the interactions with the lost and the dying world and be ambassadors for him and be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs him. You're the only light in your neighborhood, some of you, in the place where you work, maybe at your family dinner table even. You're the salt and light, and God puts you there for a reason. And keep in mind again that God is with you. He endured great suffering and shame in the most torturous death in human history. Not only was he scourged and beaten and sped upon and mocked and then crucified, but he experienced separation from the Father. Guys, we must never lose sight of the fact that Jesus, who is fully God, my son was talking to me about this last night. So dad, all three of them are one and they've always been there. Yes. So they were always there. Yes. And they're always three. Yes. I don't get it. I said, okay, join the club. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. I said, you want to be more ready? There was no time or space. So when there's no space, what is there? I don't know. But I'm finite man trying to understand infinite God. Can I get amen to that? Amen. And it's good to know that he knows. And it's good to know that he's in control. And I trust his character. I trust his love. And guys, you know what that means? I give my life to him. He can do with my life whatever he wants. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Amen. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm in. You want me to plant a church in China next week? Joshua can be the pastor. I'll get on a plane. Guys, we need to be in that position where we recognize our life belongs to the Lord. Instead of being upset when he chooses to use us, be thankful that he will, as he calls us, he will equip us. Amen? Amen. It's a get to. It's not a have to. This life is but a vapor. Again, we'll rest when we get to heaven. See, Jesus knew separation from the Father so we can know closeness. See, we, he, was one, he is one with the Father, but he knew what it meant to be separated from the Father because we were all separated from the Father, and he wants us to be one with the Father. He suffered as if he lived our lives so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. It makes you want to just sometimes shout Jesus from a mountaintop, amen? Just shout his name, praise his name, worship his name, be unashamed of his name, amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus at one point cried out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He left heaven because he loves you. Endured torment and suffering because he loves you. New separation from the Father because he loves you. What is there that you won't do because of your lack of love for him? Lord, help us. Can I get an amen to that? Lord, help us. He endured separation that we might know intimacy. And just as Jesus' suffering and shame was all 
part of God's plan for our restoration, so too are trials and persecution, though nothing compared to what Christ endured or a part of God's plan. What does suffering do? What, is, what do trials do? It's in, we're going to be in James right after Hebrews. James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. Here's what that means as Christians. You're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. <laughs> so we all have trials, but you know what he says? Count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into tri- various trials, for trials produce patience and the perfecting of your faith. See, no suffering is wasted. You know, when you, when you have a bunch of metals all together and some of them are, are what they would call dross, they're imperfect, what do they do? They heat it up. And the you know, the poor metals rise to the top and they scrape them all off and all that's left is the gold. Amen? And see, when we go through trials, God is removing some of that dross out of our lives. Amen? He's doing a work in us and through us. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? Amen. And so it's when, we're, when we go through the trials and our faith is put to the test, that's when we find out. You know, what you've heard it said, you know, Christians are like tea bags, right? You, you find out what's in them when you put them in some hot water. Amen? <laughs> And, and so when we get put into hot water, then we find out what's really on the inside. We find out what's reflected in us. We must learn to trust in God in the midst of our trials, that he is doing a work in us and is working through us to impact others. So point number one, lest you become weary and discouraged. Point number two, unless you allow your trials to consume you. And finally, lest you despise his correction. How many people like to get disciplined? <laughs> Maybe don't raise your hand for that because I might be weird, Okay. <laughs> Okay, but the reality is nobody wants to be called into the principal's office. Nobody wants to be pulled into the office at work. You know, nobody wants to be, you know, called to task. But here's what we need to understand. When the Lord dis- disciplines us, he's not an angry boss. You know, he's not a, a power-hungry principal. He's your dad. And because he loves you, he knows what's best for you. He's already proven that he's willing to die for you. So when he, calls, when he brings discipline, it's not to, to harm you, but to keep you from harm. You've heard me say it repeatedly that you know, the law is not a wall to keep us out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep us from driving off a cliff. And the, the same is true with the Lord and his love for us. Look what it says here, lest, he despi- lest we despise his correction. Verse 5. And you haven't forgotten the exhortation which he speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he received. If I had read that verse, I I don't know. Scourges? How many saw the scourging scene? Right? Jesus beat. He says he scourges. He, again... He allows us to go through temporary suffering that we might be molded more into the image of our Savior. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. One great reason for the discouragement among these Jewish Christians was because they saw no reason why God would allow difficult times. See, remember, Christians are being fed to lions. Christians are being covered in pitch and set on fire. Lord, why are you allowing this? Well, again, When I gave my life to the Lord, I told him, you can do with my life whatever you want. That isn't exactly the name and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it uh, message you hear and cycle babble that you hear on a lot of Christian television. Come to Jesus, he'll give you everything you want. No, because if he did, then you would be God. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what he wants because he knows better. Can I get an amen to that? So the exhortation here is, that we give our lives to the Lord. And Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, use it for your kingdom and for your glory. They had forgotten. They're like, why would you allow this to happen? Guys, when we forget God's word, we end up creating our own self-centered expectations for the Christian walk. I'm mad at God right now. I can't tell how many people, people tell me that. I'm mad at God right now. I'm like, okay, well, let's see who's wrong on that program. Go. <laughs> You're mad at God. I'm sure he's worried. Can I get an amen? <laughs> You're mad at God. And I say, why are you mad? Well, I put it for this promotion at work. I prayed about it. I didn't get it. God answered your prayer. He said, no. Can I get an amen? 
when we give our lives to the Lord, maybe that promotion would have taken your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe you would have worked more hours. You wouldn't be able to be in fellowship. Maybe it would have had a huge impact on your marriage and raising your children. Praise God that he says no, because he knows what's best for you. Amen. Amen. And so there's the exhortation that, that again, we, we've all heard even pastors say, come to Jesus and you'll never have another day of difficulty. I don't know what, it, your life will be nothing but marshmallows and gumdrops. No. That's nowhere in the Bible. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Guys, this is, this is not our home. We're passing through. This is temporary. Can you say praise God? Praise God. Amen? I don't like camping. I don't get it. I don't like it. I know. Half the church just left. My wife says, my wife wants to go camping. Every, I'm like, babe, I'm not going to spend my vacation time being homeless. I'm not doing it. I don't understand it. I'm not doing it. I don't want any part of it. It's okay. But the, the reason I brought that up is how many of you would spend your entire life taking care of your tent and focus only on the tent? The only time you focus on the tent is when you're sleeping in it to make sure you don't get water on, it, on you if it's raining. But once you leave the campground, you just throw that thing up, throw it in the back of your truck and drive off. Guys, we're in a tent right now. This is not eternal. Can I get an amen? This is not the thing that really matters. What matters right now is when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And take our eyes off of that, which is this is a temporary tent. Aren't you glad? This thing's, this thing's falling apart. My dad used to say, getting old is not for wimps. Amen? Well, he does indeed rescue us from the consequences of sin. He allows us to enter into his rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, in the midst of the trial, don't try to do better on your own. Don't, and don't get angry with God. Run to him. Lord, I'm struggling. Help. One of my favorite prayers. You ready? Here it is. You ready? You can write it down if you want. Help! I pray that a lot. <laughs> Just like that. I'll be in my car driving, and I'm talking to somebody, and I'll put it on mute. And I'm like, help, help. I'm trying to counsel this guy, Lord, wisdom right now. Help! Unmute. Yeah, okay, bro. Right? <laughs> Crying out to God is a good thing. Amen? Lord, I just, I need you. How often do we need him? Always. You know what? You breathe in and out on him because he's let you. Amen? He made us new creations in Christ. If any man be in Christ, any man, any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We've been justified just as if we've never sinned. And now we're being sanctified, conformed more into his image every day. And as we grow in our faith and our spiritual walk. So we've been justified just as if we never sinned. Now we're being sanctified till the day we're glorified. So we are works in progress. Amen. And God is still, he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, we won't grow strong and healthy if we only eat marshmallows and gumdrops. We need a balanced diet. And part of that diet is trials. Amen? We, we study this Bible so we can walk out there and live it. Amen? If you just read this and it doesn't change your life, you've heard me say it, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? Monday needs to change. Every day needs to change. We should be different. The world is panicking. The world's afraid. And God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And the world's petrified. And they should be. If you don't know Jesus, you should be afraid. Amen? But if you know him, you should be at peace. And if you don't know him, we can fix that before you leave today. Amen? Faith that hasn't been tested. And if our faith is never tested, we won't grow spiritually. So we want to be used mightily, but we don't want to hear about the suffering greatly. But everybody used mightily in Scripture suffered greatly. So guys, if we say, Lord, I'm in, then suffering's coming. Trials are coming. Temptation's coming. But here's the good news. Our God's greater than all of it, and you won't go through it alone. And it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be called out of the fire. Can I get amen to that? Because it's better to be in the fire with the Lord than out of the fire without him. Notice it says there, my son, do not despair. And he says, you know, to whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The son, he scourges. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as his sons for what? 
son is there whom a father does not chasten. Here's part of the problem in our world today. Not enough dads disciplining their kids. Can I get an amen to that? I, I was tempted to just do, use the example, but I used to hear the, the belt coming out of the loops. Anybody besides me have nightmares about that still? <laughs> My dad would pop that thing off and hear it go, whoosh, and then he'd put it together and snap it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> but praise God who, for dads who love us enough to apply the you know, the belt of truth to the seat of learning. Can I get an amen? <laughs> God gives us a nice little fat area right back here. No one will die. Can I get an amen to that? And here's the problem. See, the Lord disciplines us like a father disciplines us because if we do not respect God's authority, we're not going to respect anybody's authority. Can I get an amen to that? If you don't respect your parents' authority, you won't respect the teacher's authority, you won't respect the police's authority, you won't respect the government's authority, and you'll be in Portland throwing bombs at government buildings instead of being at work. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> and so here, these are the, this is, it all starts with we need godly discipline, amen? And I'm glad that God loves me enough to discipline me because I need it. Anybody else need it besides me? Amen? amen? And you know what? The closer I get to the Lord... The more he disciplines, what I mean by that is it's the quicker I feel I need to, you know, the words aren't even out of my mouth. Holy Spirit head slap. Can I get an amen? That's how it feels for me. I used to have hair back there, but that's what happens. Holy Spirit is, you know, I haven't even said it yet. There it is, right? Okay, Pastor Dave, what kind of, what is that? You know, oh, forgive, forgive me. When he disciplines us, it ought to drive us to our knees to cry out to him and ask for forgiveness. Can I get an Amen. And discipline is good for us. Praise God. So if he loves you, he's going to discipline you. And we need to be a discipline. He exhorts us. The word there means to call near, to admonish, to encourage, to comfort, to refresh. He speaks to us as sons. He reminds us that God's chastening should never be taken as a sign of rejection. It is a sign that he's treating you as his children. Isn't that awesome? When I was a kid, other people's parents could discipline you. Yeah. Amen? I remember going to Missouri every summer to spend with my grandma, and we were out, we, got, we were throwing rocks or doing something, and the lady down the street made us go get our own switch, swatted us with it, took us to my grandma's house, and the grandma made me go get another switch and swatted me again because the lady down the street had to swap me. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, and I survived. Can I get an Amen. But here I am 54 years later remembering it. Can I get an amen? But the point I'm making is that in those days, people loved you enough to discipline you. And it's because the Lord loves us, he will discipline us. And we need it. Again, it says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. The word chastening there speaks of not only our discipline and correction, but training and education. Again, the word's used seven times in these verses, in these seven verses. So part of that discipline is training us. It's, it's preparing us. I'm thankful that I had a dad who disciplined me. And, I, I'm, and I'll tell you what, if you're doing a good job, dad, there'll be at least a little bit of fear. Amen. I love my dad. I know he would die for me. But I knew when I was in trouble and I heard the car pull in the driveway, I was afraid. Can I get amen to that? But you know what? Because I knew my dad was going to do what was right. My dad was going to correct me. My dad was going to teach me. My dad was going to train me. And you know what? I praise God for my dad because he's one of the many reasons I am the man that I am today. Amen? So love your kids enough to discipline them. And the Lord loves you enough to discipline you. A loving father corrects and disciplines and trains and educates, but does it in love. By the way, if you discipline your kids, never do it in anger. Because the Lord's not angry with us when he does it. Can I get an amen to that? Okay? You don't discipline your kids in anger. You know, and I remember, you know, I remember my grandpa, he'd get, you know, you, you never wanted to talk when he was swatting you, because when you would talk, it added swats. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again, Papa. I know you'll never do it again. Real happy. I know you really... Be Shuddy, can I get an amen? Be quiet. 
When the Lord disciplines us, it's because he loves us, but he's also training us. He's also molding us. He's making us into the men and women of God he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. And praise God for his chastening. Our heavenly father loves us so much, he died for us. His correction means it's meant not to destroy us, but to protect us and conform us and mold us more into the image of his son. Again, it says there, uh, nor be discouraged, way back up at the beginning of the verse. Don't be discouraged when he rebukes you. You know, the word, word rebuke means to find fault or to correct. I need to be corrected sometimes. How about you? And the Lord loves me enough to correct me. Don't despise him. It means to hold in little account, to regard as a small matter or a trivial thing. The word discourage means to faint, to break down, to become weary and faint and despondent. Warning is here because uh, these two seemingly polar opposite extremes are so prevalent in our reaction to godly discipline. We, get, we're, we despise that it's happening and then we get discouraged. When godly discipline is brought, the response should be, again, that some people say they despise it. Yeah, whatever. Okay, God, I don't know, you know, that's what you're going to do, whatever. And then others break down and fall into a heap. God doesn't love me anymore. Neither one of those is the right reaction. The right reaction should be, thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to discipline me. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Lord, thank you that you love me enough that you count me as a son. Both are ungodly and immature reactions when we break down and say God doesn't love me or when we just disregard what God's doing in our lives. Again, one is a question of his authority and the other is a question of his love. When we despise him, we question his authority. Whatever, God, that's questioning his authority. And then the other one, when we get discouraged, is we question his love. Does God have authority in your life? And does he love you? Okay. So when he disciplines you, we should not run to either one of those extremes. Don't question his authority. Isn't that what the world does? Don't they question God's authority? Don't they doubt God? I had someone use an F-bomb with Jesus' name after it with me recently. And they were trying to get a rise out of me. And I just looked at him and I said, I feel so sorry for you. But he's my savior. He's a loving, gracious, and a merciful God. And if you can say that, you obviously don't know him. And that's tragic. Can I get an amen to that? Wanted to see if I would get angry and, you know, I just said, Lord, he's yours. Pray for him. Key to a godly response to divine discipline is, again, to remember the heart from which it is given. See, when I would discipline my, my kids, I would, we, had a, we had a thing we called the uh, Board of Education. <laughs> and it said on it, the Board of Education. And so we would tell the kids if they got in trouble, go get the board and go wait in the laundry room. That's why, to this day, they don't like to do laundry. But no. <laughs> so they would take the board, and they'd be in there waiting for me. And sometimes I'd leave them in there for a little while. Let them think about it. And then I'd come in, and the first thing I'd do is get down on a knee, and I'd look him in the eye and say, son, do you believe that daddy loves you? And he'd say, I know you love me. Yeah, you do. I said, do you believe daddy would die for you? Yeah, I believe I, you, would, you would die for me. Well, because I love you, and I'm willing to die for you, I'm also willing to discipline you, because I want you to become the man that God wants you to be. So grab your ankles in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> and the Board of Education. But you know what, though? Because the Lord loves us, and he's more concerned about molding us into the image of his son than, having, and, than us being mad at him. See, my kids knew I loved them. Even though they didn't like the SWAT, they knew I wasn't doing it in anger. They knew that their dad loved them. And we need to know the same thing about God. If God doesn't give you what you want, trust that he knows what's best for you and praise him anyway. Amen? Amen? Praise him anyway. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. I will always, I will always, I will always, I will always praise your name. Now look what it says here. Furthermore, verse 9. Well, no, verse eight, let's read verse 8. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Does anybody have a King James Version? What is that word for illegitimate? What does it say? It says, it's in the Bible. It says, if you are without chasing of which you've all become partakers, you are a bastard. That's in the Bible. And not sons. 
That means you've not been birthed. You do not belong to the Lord. You've not been adopted into his family. Boy, that's heavy, isn't it? So now how do you feel about getting chastened? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Chasing me some more. I just want to be reminded I'm yours. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. See, if, if he doesn't discipline you, it's because you're not his. And that's how most of the world is today. We don't discipline other people's kids. We leave that up to them. We don't discipline them. They don't belong to me. I don't discipline them. And if God doesn't discipline you, it's because you don't belong to him. Amen? I remember there's been times I've wanted to discipline other people's kids. <laughs> I remember in Little League, there was an older guy, and he would come with, and he, you know, he could barely walk, and he was an older dad, and he would sit down, and his son would scream at him, cuss at him, and flip him off from the Little League field. I remember leaning forward one day and said, I'm happy to go on out there and give him a swat in your name if you would like. I have no problem. What a little, and you know, and the sad part, well, and you wonder why, but the dad was so passive that the kid ran over him. And sadly, that kid didn't grow up very well. Look what it says here. Furthermore, verse 9, we had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subject, subjection to the Father of our spirits and, and live. So our dads corrected us and we respect them. Or we should. If you're not respecting them, you should. And dads, again, and moms, don't discipline in anger. Can I get an amen to that one more time? Don't do it. If you're angry, walk out of the room, calm down. Don't discipline in anger. That should never be happening. But here's what Proverbs says about disciplining our children. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Hello now. This is in the Bible, okay? Now, people say, beat him with a rod. Bible's rough. Do it in love. Amen. Discipline's a good thing. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29. Discipline like that of our heavenly father, should, again, should always be done in love, never in anger, and sadly, modern thinking says if we discipline a child by spanking them, it will make them violent. I have found the opposite to be true. I have found that kids who aren't disciplined are violent. I find kids that don't respect mom and dad's authority. Again, they go to school, don't respect that authority. Then they go out in the world, don't respect that authority. And their lives are a disaster. And one of the biggest problems, again, we have in the world is homes without dads. Amen trying to threaten it to, to get rid of spanking. Well, we might as well because we're going to get rid of the police. Let's just get rid of all authority and see how that works out. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We need more authority, not less authority. Amen? Yeah. It's heartbreaking. As adults, we need to see that spanking, again, not only good for building godly character in our kids, but for God's chastening, it's good to build godly character in us. Amen? So it's good when God disciplines us. It's good when God convicts us because he loves us. Here's a question I get a lot. I gave my life to Jesus, but I still struggle. I say, well, how do you feel about your sin? I hate it. Praise God. Can I get amen to that? Because, oh, I prayed, but then my life never changed for 20 years. I kept doing everything, and I didn't feel bad about my sin. You're not saved. Amen? So when you, when you sin, there should be that Holy Spirit conviction. And if it's not there, you have either have an extremely hardened heart and you've walked away from the Lord, or you're not, you've never given your life to Jesus because you're taking the Holy Spirit with you whenever you go sin. Amen? Amen. And when, whatever you're thinking about, Holy Spirit's there. Whatever you're doing, whatever you say, He's in the room. Even when you're alone, you think no one else is watching. The Holy Spirit is there. Amen. And if He loves you, He will convict you. If, you. if He lives inside of you, He will convict you of your sin. As adults, we need to see that spanking again is not only good for the kids, it's good for us. So just how should we respond to his divine discipline and chastening? If not despising or discouraged, how do we respond? Look what it says back in verse 7. I just want to read this. It says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there of whom a father does not chasten? So again, we respond because we recognize we're his kids and we're thankful. We don't run God when he, from God when he disciplines us. Don't run from the Lord. Run to him. 
His willingness to, to discipline us, again, shows that he loves us, and he's more char- concerned about our character than our comfort. Amen? No chastening and no discipline means no correction, and it means you're not his. If there's no discipline and no chastening and no correction, you're not his, you're illegitimate, there's no dad in the home, you don't have a relationship with him, and again, you know, I remember when we were young sometimes, you'd see a kid that didn't have a parent at home, and you would say things like, oh, you're lucky, you never get, you never get in trouble. I still remember this. I was asked to speak when I was still a, a youth pastor in San Jose. I was asked to go speak at a, a San Luis Obispo, their school there had a Christian club, and they asked me to come speak at a retreat. And a young gal came up to me afterward, and I was talking to her. She found out that my daughter had entered into a courtship relationship. So I was already pastoring in Santa Cruz, and she couldn't believe it because I am the most overprotective father who has ever lived. And I'm not afraid of it. Brett's going to try to top me, but I'm just telling you. I was the most overprotective dad. I lifted weights to keep people afraid in Jesus' name. Amen? The point, but here's the point. When she met the right man, and what I was telling her was, well, yeah, they're courting, but he can only see her at my house when I'm home. And if he is ever in my house once when I'm not home, he's done. Like, whoa. And, she, and I said, you know, and, and then, you know, they're not allowed to be alone until they're engaged, you know, and I just went through all the list of things, the requirements that I gave. And my daughter hated, did, didn't, was not happy with dad for four years of high school. On the way to school, I told her, baby girl, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years. I'm okay with that. You got enough friends, I'm going to be your dad. And every guy in your school is going to be scared to death of me. Fear God, fear dad. Those are two good things, so... So she would get upset with me because everybody was afraid of her. I'd be in the stands watching. She was a cheerleader. Like I would talk to her and he'd see me. He'd run away. She'd go, they just run away. I'd go, praise God. It's good. <laughs> Keep running. But what I was telling this young girl, she was like, man, I'm glad I don't have a dad like you. That'd be kind of rough. I mean, I don't want, you know, wah, wah, wah. And I said, well, actually, my daughter just wrote me a letter. It's in my safe at home to this day. And it says, dad, you were an overprotective dad. And I was mad at you for four years, but you know what? You were right, because Kevin was worth the wait. He was the man God had for me, and thank you for protecting me for him. And that girl was saying, man, it'd be rough to be your daughter. Then this other girl walks up and says, my mom and dad don't care what I do. They could care less where I am. They could care less who I date, and I wish I had a dad like you who cared enough about me to watch over me like that. Can I get an amen to that? See, that's our dad. Amen? He doesn't just not care when you go off, uh, off. He loves you enough that he'll rein you back in. He loves you enough that he'll bring godly discipline. He loves you enough. My boys, my kids got caught every time. They go, how come everybody else, they do it eight times and I get caught the first? I said, because I pray and God, the Holy Spirit listens to me and he catches you. That's what happens. I pastored a large church. I got a lot of eyes out there. One of my boys threw a bottle against a telephone pole on the way home from school. The guy called me at the church office. I went home. He walked in the door, and I handed him a broom and a uh, dustpan. Here you go. What's that for? That bottle you threw down on the street when you're walking home. How in the world? When the Lord loves you, you get caught. Can I get an Amen. And when the Lord loves you, he disciplines you and he sees what you're doing and he loves you enough to have you, you know, get busted in Jesus' name. Amen? I wish I had a dad who would love me enough to discipline me. I could still see that, little, that young girl's face. She was in college. My dad could care less. Aren't you glad we have a dad who loves us enough to discipline us? Amen? That's a sign that you belong to him. Giving your kids too much freedom doesn't make you a cool mom. They don't need a cool mom or dad. Amen? You know what it makes you? It makes you irresponsible and you're treating your kids like they're not yours. Amen? We don't need that. We need discipline. Let's finish up. Furthermore, we have human fathers, like we said. Shall we not much more readily do be in subjugation to the Father of Spirit and its love? And what it says here you know, again, I grew up with godly parents. I grew up with yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Those are lost words now, aren't they? When my dad would say, son, I need you to take out the trash. If I said, in a minute, <laughs> my hand would have never even got up to here. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that belt would have been off, and oh, man, amen? Oh, in a minute. It, it was, son, I need you. Yes, sir. 
and you go do it. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. God says it, right? God gave us godly parents. Let's respond. Well, guess what? As much as I respond to my earthly dad, how much more should I respond to my heavenly father? Because even human mom and dads, sometimes we can be wrong. Our heavenly father never, ever, ever is. Amen? Just as we, our parents loved us enough to discipline us, so too our heavenly father loves us enough to discipline us. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he who for profit, he who for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now I love this. Human fathers and mothers, even with best intentions, can be imperfect, as I said, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. His discipline is perfect. Ours is flawed. And our all-knowing heavenly fathers chastens us perfectly. He disciplines us. And again, because he wants what's best for us. It says there we're partakers. That means to be in partnership with. Isn't it good to know you're in a partnership with God? He's a partaker with us. God's desire through our trials is to conform us more into his image, that his holiness will characterize my life, that I will be separated from the world and unto him. Don't be, we don't become holy through good works. We become holy by being grafted into him. You don't become holy because you do more good stuff. You're holy when you die to yourself and you're grafted into him. See, holiness is reflected in a life that bears fruit. Belief that has behavior. Amen? And so the sign that we really belong to the Lord is that our life bears fruit. He is the vine, we are the branches. John 15. He that abides in me bears much fruit. Amen? Amen. So it's important that we look at our own, is my life bearing fruit? Is, is it evident? If we put you on trial for being a Christian, we went around and and just videotaped everything you said and did for a week, and we asked all your coworkers and your neighbors about you, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Amen? Would they go, oh yeah, that guy's talking about Jesus all the time. Yeah, they, they talk about the Lord all the time. Yeah, they, they share, they witness to me. Yeah, the way they treat their kids, they're most loving. Would they see that? Or are we just like the world? God's desire through our trials and through the difficulties of life is to mold us more to the image of his son. Jesus' definition of holiness is, you know, we partake in his holiness. Less of us, more of him. Chastening helps us to turn from our will to his. See, strong will is a term we use for something that's horrible, right? It's a strong-willed kid. And again, if we have his will and it's strong, that's wonderful. We desire his will. Amen? We desire our own. We're separated from him. And God's desire is that we be surrendered fully to him. So come to a place where we're humble, broken, and desperate. That's when we're usable for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Look at the last verse. And again, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. No one wants to swat. No one wants to be disciplined. No one wants to be called into the principal's office. No one wants to have to be set down by their parents. But when God disciplines us, he's seeking to educate and instruct us. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. Spankings hurt. But the reason for the spanking isn't the short-term physical pain, but the long-term spiritual growth. See, God loves us enough to allow us to suffer momentarily so that we might be blessed eternally. Amen? He's willing to allow us to go through great difficulty and great pain. Here's what I remember. This is all, when, I, when I think of this verse, here's what I always remember. I remember when I had my first daughter, my baby girl, the same one that I was so protective of, that I remember holding her in my arms, and I was, it just taught me unconditional love to a whole new level. Can any parents say amen to that? You, have, you thought you had unconditional love until you held that first child, and you were like, are you kidding me? I mean, she said, Daddy, you can have the car. What do you need? Right? Amen? <laughs> I'm all in. It's, you know what I mean? I would die for you. It made me want to work harder. It made me want to be a better father, a better husband, and a better man because I had that baby girl to take care of. Can I get an amen to that? All of that is true. And all of that is, 
is a blessing, and it's so good to know that. But I remember taking her in when she was an infant to get her shots. And I remember that I was the one who protected her and cared for her and loved her. And then I'm holding her, and I had to, they set her down on this, you know, this stainless steel table that's made for comfort, right? <laughs> and set her down in there, and I'm holding her in place. And as she's looking at me with her big, beautiful blue eyes, someone stuck her in the arm, and I let it happen. And she looked at me like, what have you done? And I had tears coming out of my eyes because I'm her dad and I'm supposed to protect her. But see, I don't know how things are now, but back then you got a vaccine because you needed it. And you said, well, I'm going to let her have temporary pain to keep her from getting chicken pox later or whatever the vaccine was for, right? Because I love you. I know it, it kills me to see you in pain for a minute, but I'd rather see you in pain for a minute than have you suffer for a long time. Does that make sense? Amen. And the Lord would rather see us accountable and have to go through difficulty. You might lose a job. You might have to, you know, you might have to have your sin find you out and some shame brought to you because he cares more, not about just the momentary pain that you're going to have to endure, but the long-term growth and blessing that comes from it. Train up a child in a way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, godly discipline produces godly children. Now, they also have free will. They're still going to make choices of their own. But godly discipline is something that will direct them in the right direction. Chastening hurts, but it teaches us a lesson. It grows us spiritually. And again, praise God that he loves me enough to discipline me. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful that the Lord loves me enough that he never leaves me. He walks with me when I'm hurting and I need him. And he loves me enough to give me a swat when I need it. That's our heavenly father, and I can't do anything but praise him. Can I get an amen to that? Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that those whom you love, you discipline. Lord, we know that we need to be disciplined from time to time. I'm thankful, Lord, that when I step even a step outside of your will, that you love me enough to get my attention, to bring conviction. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would recognize that conviction is a blessing, that godly discipline is a blessing, to recognize, Lord, that because you love us, you chasten us. And Lord, to see that as, a, as something that helps make us more into the image of our Savior and to count it a joy and a blessing. Lord, may we never run from you, but may we always run to you. Lord, may we praise you no matter what. May we praise you in times, not only in times of blessing, but in times of adversity. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who's come to live inside of us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, may we always consider you. May we always look to Jesus. May we never allow our eyes to get caught by the waves or the trials of this life or the things that are going on around us. May it never consume us so much that we take our eyes off of you for even a moment. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, 